0: Have had the privilege of working with christian men and women from around the world now for quite some time and i have noticed and if i can just be general that there is hardly a vision of the transformative work of the image of god in a person who came to faith in jesus christ i have noticed that people meet jesus they confess Jesus, they have a Jesus encounter. But then after that, it's as though interaction with Jesus and transformation into the image of Jesus stops. Perhaps it's not even taught, it's not even noticed within the New Testament. And so as Christians, we run off into all of the untold myriad of rabbit trails out there. I find it so interesting that the very man who saved us, the man whom we say is our Messiah, it's as though we have no interest in his nature, in his character, in his image. It's as though he is only a ticket to the afterlife. But in this life... We have no eyes for Him, no heart for Him, no passion for Him. I've been around Christians and I noticed that their heart does not speak lovingly and worship fully and devotedly and honorably, tenderly towards the Messiah, Jesus the Christ. But, oh, you want to see passion in Christians? Talk about politics. Talk about the Antichrist. Talk about the new world order. And as Christians, we explode with passion. But talk about the lover of our souls, the one who gave his life, the one who knows us through and through the Spirit who's working His image and His character and His nature into us, the one who's transforming us, it's as though we have no passion for that. We have no awareness of that. Again, I'm generalizing. Something is very, very wrong with the vision of many of us as the Lord's believers. And can I ask you, as you are listening to this message, what comes out of your mouth on a consistent basis? Is it the affairs of this world or the person, the Messiah, Jesus the Christ? Now, let me balance my words. I am well aware that we live with two feet on this earth, that we conduct ourselves as civilians of a country and we live within a boundary. And I I get that, that we should, you know, uh, be responsible citizens and be up to date with the age. I, I, I get that. But does Christ arouse passion within you as does the affairs of this world. That is my question to you. As I read the New Testament, I discern that God saved us. That is, He redeemed us. That is, He rescued us. That is, God came into my life to begin a process within me. Many of us treat salvation as just a ticket to the afterlife, and for many of us as Christians, the afterlife is heaven with some kind of a city of gold and some kind of a palace and with everything that caters to life as you know it on earth, only in the perfect state. And for many of us, that's what Jesus ought to do. He forgives me, he cleanses me, and Now I'm going to go to this special place. And that's pretty much the purposes of God for many of us. But I see something way deeper. I see that salvation, the day that I meet Jesus, it's, it's the beginning of a restoration work within me. Yes, God is in a way sanctifying me, transforming me, but not so that I could be a fit citizen for the heavens. It's as though the transforming work God is beginning is so that I could be a citizen of the heavens in this earth. Many of us see God's work in me as a as an on-ramp to the afterlife but i want to challenge you to maybe reconsider another side of the coin could it be that god is also working in me so that his testimony his image has an expression in me throughout my 70 years or maybe my 80 while i have two feet on this earth beloved I do believe God is working an eternal work in us. But he's also working that eternal work in us so that we manifest him here. And I want to challenge you to look at the thread through the New Testament how God is doing a work to recover what was lost at the fall. What was lost at the fall? Well, number one. His image. So what is salvation? The recovery of His image. We also know that at the fall, Adam lost dominion. So what is salvation? Just the forgiveness of sins or a ticket to heaven? No, salvation is the recovery of God's authority in a man. What happened at the fall? Well, Adam stopped bearing fruit. And Adam came under a curse, etc., etc. So so what is is salvation? Salvation is to recover us to a fruit-bearing life, a life of influence, a life of the blessing of God. In this session, I want to extrapolate from a few New Testament passages just this single thought that God is recovering His image in you and in me and we should be passionate for the son of god because it is into his image that we are being transformed in the session after this i want to show a very practical process whereby god facilitates this recovery work this restoration work this renewal work but in this session Can I just ask you to listen again at the simple thread that runs through the New Testament. And it's the image of God in the believer, recovered, restored. I pray that you begin to have your heart and your mind calibrated to such a work of God. Also, notwithstanding all of the other things God is doing. May your inner man be recalibrated unto the image of Jesus Christ, our wonderful Lord and Savior. Romans chapter 8 And uh, I want to bring your attention to uh, verse 28 and 29, for instance. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God and for those who are called according to the purposes of God. But I want you to focus on verse 29. Because those whom He foreknew... He also predestinated. Your Bible may say He predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son so that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. There is so much I would like to say in that verse that's besides the point. This verse, unlike many theologians have taught it, this is not a verse pertaining to heaven or hell. Some are chosen for heaven, some are chosen for hell. Look at it again. If you look at the foregoing verse of verse 28, maybe if you look at the verse 30 and 31 following, there is no reference to heaven or hell here. So you cannot read into the context heaven and hell. Uh, I think I want you to go to heaven. Uh, sorry. <laughs> maybe next time, in the re- you know, get reincarnated. Uh, No, this is not an issue here of who is chosen to condemnation and damnation versus who is chosen to eternal bliss. And I'm embarrassed that many of us as theologians have twisted it in such a way that that's what people read into it. For those of you that are into all of these election situations, um, notably you will find in Ephesians the word election and chosen and predestination I challenge all of you to find the word heaven and hell in the context. So you would do way better to actually just read what it says in context. When Paul says, those whom he foreknew. This is speaking of the, what did he foreknow? God knew that he was going to have an expression in this earth. God knew that long in eternity past, He was going to have a man. And eventually when He made this man Adam, that man had already a predestined purpose on his life. It's to be in the image of God. It doesn't have to do with who goes to heaven or hell. It has to do with what is the burden for that man. God predestined that a man bears His image, not a cow. God predestined that a man bears his image, not a monkey. So this verse, Paul is talking in context also here, Romans 8, those who are born of the Spirit and those who walk in the Spirit. And you'll see then, what will the Spirit of God do with you? In chapter 8, he's hovering over you. The, the Spirit is in you. and th- What is he going to do? For most of you, you just want the Spirit to like, like make you shake. Get me some goosebumps. Holy Spirit, make me levitate. Can you do that? That, that's kind of like where the Holy Spirit falls in your life. Oh, woo me. Spectacularize me. Sensationalize me. Well, this chapter, on the heels of a massive theological discussion, and he begins to speak, now that you're righteous, and now that you're just, and you're forgiven, and you're now coming into the family of God. Then he comes here to chapter 8, and he tells you a little bit what the Spirit of God's going to do. And here it is. You're predestined. Unto what? Unto the image of Jesus the Christ. So there, you're, you're locked into a gravitational pull that you cannot escape with God. And God's going to work His purposes. What is the working together of His purposes? His image. Everything else is a penultimate and ancillary. What is the issue is God is still working his image in man. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Look at verse uh, 17. And the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is there is freedom. Again, most of you will interpret it. There's freedom to dance, so there's freedom to laugh. There's freedom to, I could be. In context, you got to read it. And it follows in verse 18. God's going to free you from the fallen image. He's going to free you from slavery and inferiority and an identity crisis. And in verse 18, the Spirit is going to do a work. And Paul is going to try to describe that. Notice verse 18. So with these free people, God's going to unveil them. All of us who walk around with masks and facades and hypocritical role-playing and pretentiousness, God's going to strip all of us. That's the freedom so come back to the real thing and he's going to describe the real thing. He says God wants to unveil your face so that you can behold him and so that you can reflect the glory of the Lord. Only free people can reflect something of God. Those who are of us who have a cover up and we live in fear and in isolation We we can't reflect God. Those of us in religion, we can't reflect God. We can reflect law and legalism, and we can reflect formulas. But to reflect God, you have to be completely delivered and free. So we behold Him, and uh, we then reflect, we shine, we emanate that glory. Then look here in verse 18. God wants to do a transformation work in you. That is the the Greek word metamorphou. God wants to metamorphosis you and change you from flesh to a man of spirit. Um, Simply say, God wants to make you a godly man, a godly woman. So He wants to do a transformative work in you from glory to Glory. glory. From shining to more shining. From expressing God to more expressing God. From clarifying God to more clarifying God. Uh, This uh, uh, passage here has the intonation of spiritual growth. A year from now, you and I should reflect something of God a little bit more than we did uh, a year ago. Amen. Now, he he talks about all of this and then he says in verse 18, um, This is done by the Spirit of the Lord. And as much as in Genesis, the world was a little bit sort of discombobulated, there's the Spirit of God. Oh. Nothing has changed. The Spirit there initially, through the Word of God, let there be light. The Spirit began to do His thing, and, and, and light came. And today, the Lord does the same thing by the Spirit over you. It wants to do a work in you to hatch something of the image of God. It's beautiful, huh? Look at uh, chapter 4, if you skip over to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul speaks in verse 3, he says, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. And then in verse 4, he's going to describe the perishing situation of the veiled people. He says, the God of this age is blinding the thoughts of the unbelievers so that the the shining of the gospel, the illumination, the radiance, the effulgence, old English word, of the gospel, of the glory of Christ. Then he injects this little phrase. He says, Christ, by the way, who is the image of God, might not shine on them. You thought the gospel was the forgiving of your sin. Not according to this verse. The gospel here is the shining of Christ's face on you again. Sin is just in the way. So why did Jesus die? He died, His blood spilled, to do away with the fallen image in you. The wayward image. But that's not the gospel. That's not the good news to just be a nothing the good news is to become something. The Spirit is transforming us back into the original agenda of God, that we may shine something for God. There's something of God's testimony. And so he says here, the unbelievers, Satan in a way, is continuing to blind and and, and, uh, put a stupor over you so that you don't see Christ as the gospel. And then he says here, Christ is the image of God. And God's burden is to shine on you. May the Lord make His face So what is the gospel? It's the doing away of your sin, but unto what? The gospel is not just, God forgave me. That's just one side of the coin. What's, what's the other side? What's the weightier aspect of the gospel? The recovery of the image of God. The testimony of God through you. Amen. Amen. Oh, glory. Awfully quiet class. As I say to folk, if you disagree with me, keep quiet. (laughs) (laughs) Philippians chapter 2. Verse 13. For it is God who is operative in you. God is working. And He puts a willing within you. And He works His good pleasure within you. What do you suppose God's good pleasure is? This is not a trick question. Seriously. What do you suppose God's good pleasure, the burden, the real weight of His heart? He's working that in you. Pray tell what is it? Let's stay on theme here, the image of God. Okay, the image of God. So God is working in you. What? His purposes. What's His purpose? (laughs) That you would be a man and a woman bearing His testimony. Verse 14. So as God is working in you, then stop complaining. He's working His good pleasure in you. So anything that befalls you is actually the working of God's testimony in you. We're going to look at how that practically looks in a minute. So stop complaining and stop reasoning it out. Make peace with the fact that whatever God is doing in you, He's wanting to recover His image in you. Amen? Amen. Then Paul goes on in verse 15. I want you to notice now verse 15 in particular. Why is God operative within you? Why is He working in you, His purposes? Why should you stop complaining? Verse 15. So that you can be blameless and without guile, without pretension, without hypocrisy, without role-playing. You can be authentic, genuine. Hey, uh, by the way, when was the last time you met a genuine person that had the testimony of authenticity? That man, that woman, they're the real McCoy. McCoy. When was the last time somebody accused you of being genuine? Now there is an authentic, genuine, real person. That's what he's saying here. God is working in you to make you without guile, without hidden agendas, without pretension, just a normal man, fallen as you are, just human as you are, but you're the real deal. Okay, so he goes on. That you may be blameless, guileless children of God, without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and perverted generation. Most of you think, oh, God is doing a work in me to separate me from my generation, my culture. No, no, no. Welcome to legacy, but this ain't the Christian life, by the way. Seriously, this is not, this is the classroom. The Christian life is out there. And God wants to go put you in the midst of that perversion. And in the midst of that crooked, deceptive, hypocritical world out there, so broken and derailed from the purposes of God, He needs a man and a woman there. God don't need you here. He's got me. Thank you. He needs you at the school. And wherever you do your thing. That's where he needs you, if he can gain you. We'll look at that in a minute. So, he wants you to be in the midst of that crooked and perverse generation, among whom you will shine as lights. My Bible says, among whom you will be a luminary. Purposes of God. Somebody that can shine for God when all hell breaks loose. Right there in the midst of Babylon, that decadent, idolatrous, perverse, godless society. He has his Ezekiel. He has his Daniel. He has the uh, uh, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. He has his man. He has his woman. Thank you, Lord. Unto what end? So that they can shine something of God. Yeah? Yeah? Let's wrap this up with Colossians. I'm just making a case for God is still doing the same thing. He is still making a man and a woman in His image. In Colossians, there are other verses also, but let's just wrap it up here Um, in chapter 3. Let's just start at verse 5, but my emphasis is actually verse 10. Put to death, therefore, in your body, in your members... Um, That's on the earth. Put away fornication, uncleanness, uh, misguided passions and evil desires and greediness and all of our idolatries. Put all that away. Um, Verse 7, you walked in these things at one time. Verse 8, but now put away these things. Be done with this stuff. Wrath, anger, malicious, malice. Malintent, uh, blasphemy, put away foul, abusive language, and that type of stuff. Verse 9, stop lying to one another. Why? Because you've put off. You, you separated from this. That's the false image. Look at verse 10. You may think Christianity, you may think the gospel, you may think life in God is just a putting off doing away with, and I think that's how Christianity has been treated. Stop this, stop that, do away with this, don't do, don't go, don't touch, don't... I get that. Paul even said, put away. Separate from this. Walk away. But verse 10 gives you again the other side of the coin. Inasmuch as you separate and put this off and put this on. So he says, put on the new man. What do you think that is a hint to when he says, put on the new man? That is a clear, unmistakable hint to the new Adam, which was Christ, by the way. Christ, Paul would say, is the last Adam. God had an initial Adam, an initial man that lost the testimony, and he found a new man in Jesus Christ in the Incarnation. And Paul would also say, Adam was the first man God ever created, and then Christ is the second man. God only created two people. And in a way, when God looks upon this realm, He sees you in two men. The first Adam or the last Adam. And all men are identified in those two people. And those two people bear two testimonies. The men who are just in the first Adam, they bear the testimony of the fall. The men and women who would find themselves in the last Adam, they bear the testimony of recovery, of glory, of the image of God. So Paul says then here, put on this new man. This, this new man actually is just Christ. And he says, this new man is being renewed unto the full knowledge according to the image of Him who created him. There's Paul again. God is doing a renewal work in you, a restorative recovery work, a growing work. What is He growing in you? The image of God. Amen. So there you have it. It is the burden of God to recover what was lost at the fall. And that is, number one, first and foremost, His beautiful image. Now, when we say God wants to restore His image, we dare not say that you become God. God is not flesh, God is not bone. God is spirit. The New Testament clearly teaches that. But what happens through your flesh and bone, through your intellect, through your creativity, through your compassion, through your personality, is that all the many faceted dimensions of God's beauty is displayed through your speaking, through your compassion, through your service. It's as though, and hear me in this metaphor, your body is an avatar where God's Spirit uses the physical and practical body in which you live for His economy. It's as though your body is a temple for God to express Himself. You're the tent. He is the glory. He is the weight. He is the radiance. I dare not say that when God wants to use you to reflect Him, that it nullifies your will you still have to choose to partner with God. It's not as though God just usurps and violates your body and your intellect and, and, and your humanity for His purposes and you become some kind of a robotic figure that have no say in the matter. No, you stay you. You stay human. But God infuses divinity into your humanity. So you continue to eat, you continue to drink, you continue to live the human life. But through you, something from another realm is discerned and touched and appreciated. To begin this process of... The recovery of the image of God. I know it's God's burden, but now back to you. How do you partner with God? I want to give you just a few initial thoughts before our next session where I will unpack it a little bit more. But number one, if you do not walk with the Holy Spirit, if you're not sensitive and keenly aware of the Holy Spirit's presence in your life and His number one goal in your life to transform you into the image of the Master, Jesus the Christ. If you're not sensitive to the Holy Spirit, this process is going to be frustrated by you. So begin to cultivate and steward a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. Now, for many of us, the Holy Spirit is just some kind of heavenly entertainment, some force from God to sensationalize me. I want you to reconsider the role of the Holy Spirit, which is the very breath of Jesus the Christ. The breath of Christ is to bring the life of Christ into you and the mind of Christ and the wisdom of Christ and the very nature and character of Christ. The Holy Spirit is here to dispense the richness of Christ into you. Would you reconsider why you walk with the Holy Spirit? If it's not for a download and a dispensing of the beautiful Christ more and more into you, then why are you walking with the Holy Spirit? What other agenda and motivation do you have for walking with the Holy Spirit? Now, the Holy Spirit does many, many things within us. I admit to that. But first and foremost, he is to dispense Christ into you. Secondly, if you want to begin to be in this flow of the transformative work of God, then you've got to begin to, number two, obey all of the demands and the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Number one, Be keenly aware, discerning, and sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And then number two, begin to live a life of obedience to the Holy Spirit, of of submission, of gentleness, of a yes, Lord mentality. When you constantly buck against God and you constantly refute and explain away And you you constantly ignore and frustrate and close the door to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Then it's as though you hinder the very agent that is to facilitate the transformative work within you. So, number one, be keenly aware of the Holy Spirit, not the spirit of the world. But number two, as the Holy Spirit begins to say, son... Daughter, I want you to do this. I want you to avoid that. I want you to pray into this. I want you to get up. I want you to stay up. I want you to go reconcile with this brother. I want you to serve here. Give up that. As the Holy Spirit makes these promptings, I dare you to step out in a little bit of risk, a little bit of faith, To obey those promptings, because it's not just God asking things of you. It's not just God, in a way, putting little tests in front of you and see, will you fail? Will you succeed? Everything that comes into your life by the Holy Spirit that you are aware of, it is towards transformation. So if God teaches you, it's to transform you. If God disciplines you, it's to transform you. If God gives to you, if God takes away from you. If God says go, if God says stop. Those are not commands in and of themselves. They're not the end of God's dealings with you. They are a part of the process to facilitate freedom and the recovery of his image. So there you have it. Initially two things that you need to consider and maybe pray into. Number one, continue to cultivate awareness of the Spirit's breathing in your life. Shut down the news, shut down the internet, and if get off the internet, beloved, and spend times on walks with God. And and sitting just quietly and gently before God say, Holy Spirit, I recognize your presence and, and cultivate. Let the Holy Spirit even teach you how to just cultivate his presence. And then number two, go out on a limb and dare to obey some of those promptings. Maybe the Spirit will call you to fast. Maybe He will call you to turn down the music, turn down the TV. Maybe He will call you to go on a a long walk. Dare to obey and watch what will happen. The Holy Spirit will work through so many little practical things in partnership with you to work transformation the spirit may say hey confront this person ask forgiveness of that person beloved those things are not arbitrary they're very much a part of the transformative process in your life the next time we are together we will unpack a little bit more of the practical dynamics of how god gains a person for his image on this earth